And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Stick around until the end of today's episode to hear the opening segment of The Athletic's newest narrative podcast, The Play Callers, where Jordan Rodrigue takes you inside the dynamics of the NFL's youngest coaching family, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay tree, with exclusive interviews with four head coaches and all your favorite sports personalities. Find all five episodes on The Athletic Football Show feed wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the Athletic NBA Show live in Las Vegas for Summer League. Your host Andrew Schlecht with me. I've got Sam Bassini. Sam, there's been some rookies playing basketball here in Las Vegas, yeah. and we're going to talk about said rookies. We're going to start with Victor Wimbanyama. He had a pretty bad game, <laughs> followed by a good game. Yeah, and. All the hoopla around the first game kind of all went away. And the one thing that I loved being in the building was just how much the crowd wants him to succeed. Yeah. And it's just kind of a beautiful basketball moment. Like it is, it has really been a joy to watch him play and to see how the crowd just like wants him to be so good. Yeah. I mean, it kind of speaks to something that I remember we talked about on the show we did like what? 10 hours following the draft, yep. something like that, when mm-hmm. you were standing in the middle of LaGuardia Airport, <laughs> yeah. and I was in Australia, and you're just like getting coffee from a random guy from the, well, shout out Brooklyn Diner, if yes. I remember correctly. Shout out to the Brooklyn Diner. Yeah, so <laughs> the thing that you mentioned to me at that point was that the crowd was so engaged with Victor. Oh, when yeah. you were in the arena, when you were in the building for the draft, it was a coronation for Victor Wembenyama. Totally. You know, me, other people who do draft work, whoever, right? I think we can get so caught in the weeds of, oh, Cam Whitmore is falling. Oh, you know, what's going to happen with Scoot and Brandon Miller? Yep. All the other narratives of the draft because there's intrigue there yep. on some level. A lot of NBA fans don't care about intrigue. They care about greatness. Yes. And they want to see this seven foot five guy who has an eight foot standing reach who yep. can dribble past shoot, yep. do everything that we hope he can do and mm-hmm. achieve every dream that we have for him yep. on some level. And that's what made last night seeing him play against the Portland Trail Blazers without Scoot Henderson so special, I yep. felt like. Mm-hmm. I mean, he dropped, I think, 27 and 12. So yeah. something along those three blocks. lines. Yeah. He, he was incredible. Like truly, you know, he knocked down a three, if I remember correctly, Two off the top four. of my head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just like kind of, you know, spitballing. I feel like yeah. half the time because yeah. I'm just like going off of memory, but he made a couple of mid range jumpers. And I think the big thing for him was you and I talked about along with, uh, who did we podcast the first night? Mo Keel. Yeah. Uh, after his first game, mm-hmm. we talked about how he came out a little bit passive in yep. that game. Mm-hmm. I felt like he did last night too. And it took him getting a wide open mid range jump shot, I think near the end of the first quarter. Yep. And that got his confidence back. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it was just like, oh no, I can do this. Yeah. Like, I'm that dude. I'm good here. And just straight from there, it was like, 
okay, I'm just going to drop 27 in 22 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, he, he looked like what we had hoped he would be. Yep. And it was beautiful. Uh, we have other shows talking about that. You can hear Zach Harper talk about that uh, yesterday. But we're going to move on to Brandon Miller, who plays for easily the most horrendous summer league team that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. And that is not his fault. <laughs> But no. I, I absolutely despise watching this Hornets team. Uh, he played well in that game against Wimbanyama. He had 16 and 11, three steals and assists. Uh, he did have like a really nice dunk down the stretch of that game. Thoughts on Brandon Miller so far? I, one like one thing that I want to say is his size is like sticks out, and that yeah. he's so so skinny. He is very skinny. He doesn't have a lot of lower body strength, yeah. I feel like, right now. That's the biggest thing that stands out to me. Yep. Uh, in two games in Las Vegas so far, he's shooting 27% from the field and 17% from three. Those uh, are not not ideal. great numbers. Uh, averaging, over the course of four summer league games so far, six fouls per game, yeah. three turnovers per game. Look, I don't think he's been very effective, but again, I don't think it's his fault. He's a guy that... I kind of stated throughout the process, I felt like needed creators around him early in his career to be able to get him the open threes that he got at Alabama to be able to uh, create more open opportunities for him in general. One thing that I feel like we haven't seen a lot from him, he has to create everything for this team. One thing I feel like we haven't seen a lot from him is cutting and playmaking Mm -hmm. uh, off the ball. And that's something that I felt like he didn't do a lot of at Alabama either. Yep. It's the difference between being able to get easy buckets and having to create everything yourself. Yeah. I don't think he can create everything himself, but I also think, as you said, this Hornets team, my God, man. It it almost makes me not like basketball anymore when I watch them. <laughs> um, it is horrendous. Uh, I think they're the worst summer league team I've seen in a while. True For a team that has like six or seven draft picks on their team. I think it's the worst summer league team I've seen in a while that like has guys that should be reasonably good. Yeah, guys that were picked high in the draft. But when I watch this team, I think Brandon and I kind of like Bryce, Bryce McGowan's. No, 100%. <laughs> you know, like, of like the guys that are on the team, like who's an NBA player? Those two might be my like two top. Yep. Because I think Bryce can play. Uh, I, also ran, I also ran into Bryce's aunt here on the concourse. Really? She's wearing a Bryce McGowan's jersey. She's actually in a video that we did. And I'm like, why are you wearing a Bryce McGowan's jersey? And she's like, oh, that's my nephew. You know? I love that. It's hilarious. No, but like, that's the thing that I was having a conversation with a scout about this, yeah. uh, watching the games. And the biggest thing we pointed out was just like, Brandon Miller feels like the guy on this team that actually knows how to play. Yeah. Like, he knows how to play within a team construct. He yep. passes, like, mm-hmm. he, he understands it in a real way. Whereas a lot of these other guys, Outside of Bryce McGowan's, I think, don't do that that often, oh, which is a bit yeah. concerning. Yeah. Uh, like To me, if I was a Hornets fan, I wouldn't be that concerned about Brandon Miller. I'd be more concerned about the fact that guys like James Booknight, Kai Jones, Nick Smith yeah. don't really look like real NBA guys yet. Yeah, no, they don't. I would feel encouraged, though, that I think LaMelo and Brandon Miller could have some good chemistry. Just between those two. There's somebody to set the table for Brandon a little bit more. 
I think that's right. Like, I, I think just having a table setter will be very helpful for Brandon Miller. The other thing I will say is like his jumper on his three pointer, particularly is short almost every single time. Yeah. And that I think comes back to the leg strength yeah. issue. Yep. He needs to get stronger through his lower half mm-hmm. in order to, I think, get the drive upward yep. and get that kind of momentum that he needs to be able to consistently knock down threes. Yep. It'll come in time. Yep. But I wouldn't be surprised if his early season uh, doesn't look great. Yeah. Uh, someone who doesn't need to get stronger at all. He's good. Scoot Henderson, Yeah. who unfortunately has left with an injury and probably won't play anymore summer league. But he had 15 points in 20 minutes, five boards, six assists. And it was almost kind of whenever he did leave, you didn't feel dissatisfied. You felt yeah. just like, okay. He's got it. Like we're good. Even <laughs> even within the first few minutes of watching him play and just seeing his confidence and the yeah. way that it's just like, oh my gosh. Like you just know. Like you know yeah. it when you see it with a player yeah. and he's got it. No, 100%. He knows how to play within ball screens at yeah. an expert level already. That's kind of the thing that I always loved about him. Like he has that real feel for how to get to his spots. Like he doesn't need to just explode by someone yeah. with his first step every time he has the ability to understand exactly where his angles are and exactly the advantages he has in order to maintain those advantages by using his enormous frame and using the explosiveness that he does have once he gets that advantage Mm -hmm. he is an expert at locking guys in jail on his hip already yeah which for a teenager is absurd yeah uh it, it really is just like a special guard the jumper, I think, looks okay. It will come, yeah. In my opinion, like it, it'll come at some point, yeah. And we'll see what it looks like, yeah. If you're a Blazers fan, you should feel super happy. And, and the other thing I want to say that stood out: the passing, just mm-hmm. from day one, oh, like yeah, his ability to force help defenders to collapse onto him, and then his vision outward. Again, I've always thought he was a really underrated passer. It's why I really had him in his own tier, like by himself. Yep. Uh, you know, Vic, I had in a tier above him, but like mm-hmm. I had Scoot in his own tier as well. The passing is kind of the reason why I've always thought he was a really good passer that just like didn't get as much credit for it uh, in, in the G League. Yep. Another good passer, Amon Thompson. Again, didn't get to see a whole lot of him. Played 28 minutes in his first game, had 16, four and five. Three steals, four blocks, only yeah. two turnovers. He he's another one that he just looks under control. He looks like he knows what he's going to do, and he is ridiculously disruptive as a defender. Yeah, and you should. I mean, Rockets fans should be very excited that they got this guy. Hundred percent. Just his ability to use his length extension and use his first step to be able to collapse defenses yeah. constantly. That is translated to this level. Yep. I think it's going to translate to the NBA. I, think so I do. Too. He he had a couple of just really nasty inside hand, like left hand finishes at the basket. Yeah. Where you're just like, wait, I don't really know if anybody else does that. I know. League wide. Yeah. It's just that like he gets there so quick and he understands how to maintain that advantage once he gets there so quick yep. by going up with that left hand on the inside quickly. Uh, yeah, he's he's something. The passing also stood out. Like he had a couple of cross corner kickouts. He had a couple of just like awesome dump offs. Like yep. everything that you could have hoped for from a men Thompson. Yeah, he's fantastic. We we're gonna we're kind of marching through the lottery here. We won't get to Cam Whitmore because he fell at twenty, but we sat together and got to watch some Cam Whitmore and just <laughs> we're just stunned 
by the normal basketball <laughs> passes he was making in a game. <laughs> it was good to see, honestly. It was just yeah. good to see that he had that in him in this setting, which this setting can lead a lot of guys to just think, let me get mine so that I can make my stats look good. Yeah. And he just made just some very normal passes that were just like, I just like f- completely froze. Just like, oh, wow. <laughs> like he's got that in him. So he he took, I think, 18 shots in the first game and 16 in the second game. So he's getting his. Let, let's be clear about that. Like he's <laughs> he never. Was, he was always going to get his. But within that, if he can mix in just some other stuff. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Like you got to feel really good about that too. Look, he's never going to wit less. Like we know that. Like he's just never going to. He's going to be his own guy. He's going to try and get to the basket and he's going to stop the ball. Like yep. it was funny. The one hook pass that he threw in the first quarter yep. of last game, like yep. he caught it. He stopped for like three seconds to like survey. That's what he does. He's like a constant, like I'm going to yeah. stop. I'm going to survey. I'm going to see yeah. what's going on. And. Then he drives and collapses the defense and throws the hook pass. And it's just like, well, you could have just reversed it to the wide open guy, like on the uh, opposite wing if you wanted to. But no, that's good, too. Like, that's fine. It's it's going to be a process with Cam. The thing is that the athleticism just immediately. Stands oh, it out. pops. It yeah. pops in such a big way. The physicality stands out in such a big way. Yes. That I think he's going to be fine. I, I think that he should have gone very clearly in the top six or seven. Yeah. Uh, and you know he's averaging 17 and a half points, six rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals so yep. far in summer league. And yeah, he hasn't been wildly efficient doing it, but I'm good with the production given that he is younger than basically everybody here. Yeah. What do you think of Asar Thompson? <sighs> I think he's not in the best situation. Yeah. I think is where I'm at. Okay. Asar is a guy that like really knows how to play and like really knows how to pass and play make and move without the ball and this pistons team so far has been a bit stagnant okay uh jade ivy has 10 turnovers in two games mm-hmm. and it does feel like a lot of possessions are jade ivy dribbling a lot yep and that was probably a priority for the pistons yeah no coming doubt. in was yep. to get jade ivy reps and to give him an opportunity to play with the ball in his hands a lot yeah but I feel like Asar is not getting those opportunities yeah. and he should at some point, maybe they shut down Jaden at a certain point. You would and think so. Yeah. yeah. They let Asar play on the ball uh, for a game. Mm-hmm. Maybe I-, I would be interested to see that. Yeah. Look, he's not a great shooter right now and we know that. Yeah. And you know, he's been a little bit ineffectual at times on the court, mm-hmm. but there are other times where his feel for the game just really pops and the athleticism really pops. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't pop as much as a men, which is something we've talked about throughout the pre-draft process. Yep. But yeah, I think it's fine. Like, I, I think he's, uh, I'm not disappointed in him, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. He just didn't get, it didn't feel to me that he had like enough chances to yeah. like showcase what he can do. And some of that's like, he's playing with two bigs too, that aren't spacing the floor. Mm-hmm. And you have James Wiseman, like clearly trying to get his own in like a lot of different spots. To where it is there's yeah. not super team oriented which is fine like that's that's kind of summer league for most teams yeah is that unless you have guys that feel super sure about their career and their position it's like no no, no. how can i shine yep it's not it's not about how i can make everybody accentuate everybody else for some guys it's that way for this guy anthony black it's kind of that way. Just that's that's the way he plays the game. Hundred percent. And he looked 
he looked awesome. And we talked about this on, on the way over. We we're walking over and he had some lucky shots. Like he had like a banked in three that went in. He ended up making, he was one or two from three. The one he made was just kind of this like heave that went in. Yeah. But the process with his passing, the process with just his general aggression and like getting downhill. Yep. Uh, he was everything that I wanted him to be. He, he just looked like he was set free. <laughs> from the shackles of college basketball and in particular Arkansas yeah. where the floor just feels just so crunched and it's like where is he even going to go yeah. and now he just looks just like an eagle just spreading his wings <laughs> flying about the summer league court he looked great yeah it was really good like I thought that you know it was funny I was talking to a scout and the scout told me that he thought the second half that Anthony Black played for Orlando was the most impressed he's been by a player here so far. Wow. Straight okay. up. Wow. And I think I'd probably take Jabari Smith's second half in the first game, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I would too. Yeah, I think that was just ridiculous. <laughs> but it was a ridiculous display of shot making. And I think what the yeah. point that the scout was making was that the process that Anthony Black, like in his brain was taking, yeah. was what was so impressive. Mm-hmm. Like the right pass every single time, the ability to collapse defenses regularly like maybe not every single time but like very regularly the comfort level to handle the ball in the mid-range the consistency of making the right read the right kick out the right reversal all of that is really impressive i think he's a very impressive defender as well uh we knew that coming into the draft i'm a yeah i'm a big fan of anthony black uh i I thought he pretty drastically outplayed uh jaden ivy if i remember correctly because that's Mm -hmm. what he played in that first game yep yeah i agree uh his teammate jet howard since we're on the magic uh, kind of struggled in that first game. He was uh, three of thirteen, two of seven from three, eight points, three three boards, four assists, three steals. It's going to be about the shooting with him. Yeah, you know that's going to be where he provides so much value to the Magic is if he can just be a lights out shooter for them at six eight. You know that that will be what he delivers for them and didn't get to showcase that in game one. Yeah, and honestly, if I was a Magic fan, I would be heartened by the fact that he had four assists, that he yep. had three steals. These are places that he just never impacted the box score Yeah, with Michigan. He had Truly. four rebounds in the game as well. It felt like he was a bit more active when he didn't have the ball. Yeah, uh, The shot did not fall. You know, that's going to happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a good shooter. I mean, the two that he did make from three were like ridiculous movement threes yeah. where you're just like, oh, no, like you're one of maybe 10 guys that yeah. could make that here yeah. right now. So I'm heartened by those factors, even if he didn't play, you know, necessarily as well as what I think people were hoping. Yeah. The mystery man of the draft, Bilal Kulabali, played for the Wizards in his <laughs> first game, nine points, four boards, four of 13 looks like the project we expected i think that's right uh everything that we thought he would be (laughs) i went back and watched this game because i was in the other gym for it and uh when it happened live i just got there for like the last quarter and that was the quarter where the wizards like had a furious comeback and like he was super active and energetic and aggressive and he had a couple of really nice cuts like he had uh, a couple of moments where he's just like havoc incarnate defensively like just everything that you could want from him it it was awesome but then i went back and watched the first half and it was like oh no this is gonna be a minute like (laughs) this is gonna be a minute uh the shot is gonna take some time i think the decision making 
is going to take some time just because he doesn't have as many reps mm-hmm. doing that as some of the other guys here yep. at this stage of his career. So the athleticism, the tools, all that pops from an immediate standpoint. It's yeah. just going to take a minute. He also needs a point guard. <laughs> and I'm not sure that Jordan Poole is exactly the point guard that I would have uh, handpicked for him. Yeah. Um, but he needs somebody to help him set the table a little bit as well to, for him to be successful, at least for now, just because the self-creation stuff isn't quite there. But to that point, you know, Jordan Poole is not going to be their point guard. You know, Tyus Jones is going to be their point guard. And he is a real True. table setter at the yes. very least. You know, Jordan Poole, I imagine, will have the ball in his hands a lot, though, and that yeah. won't be uh, great for Bilal. But the moments where Tyus is able to dictate and get smart reversals and Tyus, everything. Tyus, you're right. Yeah. That, is, that is something that I overlooked, is Tyus can really help him. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Jairus Walker <laughs> is a monster. A He's lot. a, a, a defensive monster. I mean, his his quickness really popped for me with his size yep. and just the way that he could get to the ball as a defender. It really popped offensively. It's gonna he's it's gonna be a process for him too, like a lot of these guys. Yep. But immediately you're like, oh, okay, I see it. Well, what this is is weirdly like we always talk about how long it takes rookies to acclimate defensively. Yeah. I actually think this is a good defensive draft, like from like a pretty immediate standpoint. Yeah. In regard to these guys, yeah. I think Jarris is like the prime example of this outside of Wembenyama. Yeah. Like. Jarris had a weak side rim rotation that I have no idea how he got to the ball. Like, truly, I have no idea how he was able to get all the way across the play to swat the shit out of this ball yeah. in the way yeah. that he did. It was like and a he did. Volleyball spike. It yeah. was incredible. And then you throw in the rebounding, you throw in the passing and the playmaking. Yeah. Like, yeah, he had eight, 13, five, three, and three. Yeah. It's yeah. like. It was the perfect Jairus Walker encapsulation. Like everything yeah. you got in his first summer league game is who he is yeah. as a player. Like you hope that the offense and the shooting and the ball handling comes along. You hope the finishing comes along as much as anything. Yeah. Because he really needs to be willing to go up and finish at the basket yes. as opposed to go for like a little floater. Like he has he the strength. Does. And that's like the most frustrating thing about watching him is like, you should just mash on these dudes. What is going on here? Yeah. And maybe that will come in time. I and, think it will, yeah. And playing with Halliburton, too. Right. Just who's going to pass him open for those opportunities will help. Well, and what's going to be really interesting with the Pacers is now uh, the thing that they lacked last year was like a short roll guy, yeah. like somebody yeah. that could really relieve the pressure when teams would put two on the ball and Tyrese. Mm-hmm. And now they have Bruce Brown. Yeah. Now they have Jairus Walker, both of whom you're going to be able to get 48 minutes from those two in some regard. Yeah. And... Being able to have that, I think, is going to make this offense sing in yeah. like such a substantial way. I think Jarris was awesome, uh, even though he only uh, Jarris shot three for thirteen. Yeah. Looking at the numbers, right? I do not care. Yeah. Like the shot is going to take time. I get that. Maybe he never shoots. Like that's a real potential outcome mm-hmm. for Jarris Walker. Mm-hmm. But I, I, everything that you wanted when you drafted Jarris Walker came fully on display in this game for Indiana. Yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 that's linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Thunder traded up to get Case and Wallace. If you've been following along in any way, if, you've, if you listen to my Thunder show or anything, you know that we have been on a, a journey with just <laughs> knowing how to say Kaysen's first name. <laughs> and it has come full circle. We... We Give me him. all of the iterations. Okay, please. so here's here's the here's the timeline of his name. Kaysen was what he was called at Kentucky. What he was called on draft night by Adam Silver, and then I was on an airplane listening to the press conference that Sam Presti had, and he called him Kassan. <laughs> and I am perplexed. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that Presti has said someone's name strangely. But this one was weird. It's like, you just pick this guy 10th, and you're calling him Kassan. Okay, and so I'm like, okay, what's going on here? A couple days later, we get to talk to him at a presser. We talked to him afterwards, say, okay, just for the record, tell us what your name is. Like, just say say your own yeah. name, please. 
And he says, well, people call me Kason. He said, my mom named me Kason. And so we're okay. like, okay, so your name is Kason. Great. For two weeks, we call him Kason on everything. Every time that I say his name, that's how I say it. And then we get the pronunciation guide from the Thunder, which Kason had <laughs> input on and said, please call me Kason. And then they put it in there. And now we're back full circle. Kason Wallace is his name. I'm glad we got there because holy shit, is this guy good? <laughs> He's really He was so good in that game. We've only seen him once. The Thunder did play in Salt Lake, but the deal wasn't done yep. until the six. And But he, in his first game, had 23 two and two steals six of ten from three yeah and like this the six is great but what i was really excited about was the 10 that he's willing to take oh yeah 10 threes in 27 minutes is if you're a thunder fan like that would be the number that i zero in on just like this guy is going to shoot it when he's open it looks super fluid yep and he's super confident and then all the other like defensive disruption just being engaged in the game the whole time. There was a particular play where the ball just kind of squirted out and was going to go out of bounds. And he raced to get it. There's three seconds left on the shot clock. And he just pushes the ball to get to half court, heaves it. And everything from there tells you what you need to know about him. The ball did go in. Yeah. And the crowd went berserk. But even if it didn't go in, like that just tells you about Case and Wallace's process. It's yeah. like, I'm going to go after every possession all the time and there's nothing you can do about it yeah he's the best i, I really love watching case and wallace play uh again you mentioned the volume from three to me it was the process again like everything that he did on the court in that game for the oklahoma city thunder was exactly what you want him to do in games for the real oklahoma city yeah. Thunder. like you want him to fire threes you want him to be able to consistently knock down shots off of some movement like yep. it wasn't like he was flying off of screens like he wasn't duncan robinson out there mm -hmm. but like he was relocating he was finding little avenues and areas to be able yep. to uh, create that little bit of separation from his defender mm -hmm. uh, i loved the way he played yeah he dropped 20 making six threes in a game and that's not going to happen often yep. but I think he does have like a good mid-range game, and I think that yeah. the defense is always going to be there from him. So mm -hmm. I, I loved what we saw. It was he's a perfect thundery player. Yep. Uh, we talked Jet Howard already, who went 11th. Derek Lively also played in that game against the Thunder. He looks like a 19-year-old center that is going to take some time. Uh, very athletic. Yeah. Um, but it's going to take a little bit of time with him. Yeah, and it took time. The first you know two months that he was at Duke, yeah. right? Like people. Yeah like hand wrung the whole time that ryan young was playing mm -hmm. uh over him early in the season yep and he's going to be a project and we knew that going in if dallas can get 15 minutes per game from him by march yeah i think that will be a win yeah but what lively has is an immense upside defensively because of the versatility with which he can guard in ball screens yeah because of the immense rim protection abilities that he can hopefully bring to the table moving forward uh and because of the finishing at the rim and it felt like they just didn't really hit him all that often yeah uh, rim running I, I still don't know like how comfortable he is as a rim runner yeah. to be honest like i feel like he's much more comfortable in the dunker spot right now yeah, yeah that um, makes sense. but that'll come like yeah. it, it'll come yeah grady dick is in an interesting position with this Raptors team, because I don't know that there's really anybody that can help him do what he does best. Um, 
with with the Raptors right now. It's not a very good summer league team. He did have 11, 8, and 4. And so he's trying to do the other things on the court whenever yeah. he doesn't have the ball or doesn't feel like he's going to get the ball. Um, but shot uh, 5 of 13, one of only got three threes, which just tells me that he's not being put in the best position to succeed if Grady Dick's only getting three three-pointers. Yeah, and, you know, he's – I think he's taking, like – six three-point attempts per game and they just like aren't falling yeah. yet in these two games i thought he looked a little bit more comfortable in the second game yeah like he it, for him the lack of strength is going to be an issue yeah. early on like mm-hmm. he will have to continue to fill out his body and his frame but i think the shooting in the like understanding of how to move without the ball and how to play even has stilled out here a little bit mm-hmm. he just hasn't been as effective as you want him to be because yeah of the lack of strength feels yeah. like to me. Yeah. In game one, he was two of nine and three second game. Uh, one of three. Yeah. He's, I think he'll look better when he has somebody out there with him. Like I think Scotty Barnes, I think they can benefit from one another. Yeah. If they get on the court together, um, but still TBD on Grady Dick. Uh, same with Jordan Hawkins for the most part. I thought he's looked fine. He's looked, he's looked a little small, to me on the court yeah. and maybe that was expected um what were your impressions of him well he's quite skinny and that's the reality of where he is right now in his development in terms of his frame yep i think that he's probably had a bit of an easier time than grady kind of creating his own shots with off-ball movement yeah i think that it just comes more naturally to him mm-hmm. to be able to fly off of those screens like that or being able to just move without the ball even yep. if somebody isn't setting a screen for him he's just kind of moving constantly and you know grady will sort of do that but not really necessarily Mm -hmm. jordan's just constantly moving uh without the ball in his hands the thing that is stood out to me with jordan is just like the lack of strength on the ball like he's turned it over four times per game so far Mm -hmm. um in the defense i mean he is just very skinny right now and guys go through him Mm -hmm. so jordan hawkins seems like kind of what i thought he was pre-draft which is just like a real bet on shooting and he hasn't shot it well yet from uh vegas yet but as long as he shoots it i think it's going to be fine Mm -hmm. it's just like what is it is it a starter is it a rotation player Mm -hmm. um honestly the pelicans are probably going to be happy if he's a rotation player but you know the upside exists for him to be a starter if he can iron out some of these other things Mm -hmm. uh my boy buffkin kobe buffkin he had a super rough start i think he had what did he have he had eight turnovers and Mm -hmm. he was like oh of eight from three in his first game he bounced back and played better in game two but it it has not been uh what maybe i would have hoped to see from kobe buffkin i'm not surprised that he's struggling so yeah I actually thought he was much better in game two. Like, I, I I thought the struggles stopped at game one. Like, I thought he was actually pretty good in game two. Yeah. Um, he had 17 in game two. Yeah. yeah. But particularly with him, he is very skinny and very young. Yeah. Like, he is younger than Jet Howard. He's younger than Jarris Walker. We talk about him like he's a sophomore, but he's not, he's a, like, by yeah, NBA standards. Yes. And he's a hundred and. 7580 pounds yeah. it looks it when he plays on yeah, the court that was noticeable for sure but again the thing that has stood out to me is the processing like you can see it 
from the moment that he takes the court like he makes the smart extra passes like there was a moment late in the game because i was there in the gym for this like there's a moment late in the game the fourth quarter against denver where there was like a scramble where like the ball like eventually got to him and he threw like just this dart to the basket to i can't remember who finished it but like it was it was the kind of like just quick read processing where he knew where he was going with the ball before he caught it Yeah, that you don't expect yeah. uh, from guys that are this young. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought Kobe was quite good. Yeah. 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 I think he's going to have a good career for the Hawks. Uh, th- this will be our last one. And I just wanted to get to him and then maybe we can we'll throw, rapid fire a couple other guys. Other guys. Yeah. Uh, but Keontae George, boy, oh boy, he looked amazing against the Clippers in particular. 33 points, 10 assists. He had six threes in that game. The passing was impressive. The moving without the ball was impressive. I mean, he caught an alley-oop himself in that game. He looks very comfortable with and without the ball yep. and is showing early like why the Jazz were ecstatic to get him outside the lottery. Yeah, everything on the ball for Keontae, I think, has translated at the highest level that we could have hoped that it would have translated. Look, he's played one game in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I will note that in the three games he played in Salt Lake, like he shot 38% from the field and 29% from three, Yeah, right? Uh, but the thing with him is that he's not turning the ball over as much. Yeah, The passing and the processing, I think, is a little bit better than what we've seen and the biggest reason for that i think is actually the frame has gotten like he's thinned out a little bit Mm -hmm. he doesn't look as heavy as he was at baylor yeah he's kind of done real work on his body Mm -hmm. which has really really helped him separate which gets him into fewer crowded areas on the court Mm -hmm. where he's like kind of jump stopping and like oh i don't know what to do with the ball like i'm kind of stuck here what do i do it just looks a lot more decisive right now for him and i think it's because he can separate a little bit better yeah but yeah i mean he had 33 points and 10 assists in this first game here i mean he was i I was in the stands for that one too he was unconscious in the second half like completely uh okay who else has stood out to you first round second round anybody else that you're just like okay wow this guy has really popped yeah a couple of guys I think Brandon Pajemski's passing has really been good. Yeah. I was there in the gym again late last night yep. watching the uh, Pelicans Warriors game. He had like eight assists in the first half. Yeah. Like it was like, oh, wow. Like you were just diamond everybody up right now. And he, he made like a concerted effort to do that. The shot hasn't been there yep. yet, but I think he can shoot. Like I'm yeah. not real worried about that. Um, the other guy I want to point out is Hunter Tyson. I was going to say Hunter Tyson. He looked From, like the best player on the court. I thought he was outstanding Yeah, for Denver. Yeah. I think he has been absolutely outstanding. He knows how to play. Like The ability to understand when he has an advantage as a driver, the ability to understand uh, how to come off of screens and yep. create three-pointers. I, I love Hunter Tyson. I, I honestly, I can't remember. if I know I had him and Strother very close. Yeah. I might have had Strother like one or two spots ahead, yeah. but I definitely had Tyson ahead of Jalen Pickett, and I think Tyson looks like the best of those three so far. Like his, yeah. his ability to come off of screens, his decision-making, his movement off the ball, I think he's been really, really good. He's got great size, too. He's somebody that you can see playing for them next year. Kind of like it wouldn't. It would not stun me if he's the one that plays for them next year. Out of these three. <laughs> that's that's at least what it looked like the other night. Yeah, that he it, would be the one. And again, like I was in the gym last night, which like, by the way, hilarious story last night. I don't know if people were watching Hawks Nuggets. It was like the last game of the night or whatever in Cox. 
the Nuggets came down on this furious comeback to finish the game, like truly crazy comeback. And there was clearly one person in the stands that had bet on the Nuggets. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs, hoping for a cover at the end of it. And at the end of this game, what happens is the Nuggets miss a shot. The Hawks, like, uh, I can't remember what happens. Like, the Hawks catch it. They have to inbound it, maybe. Or, like, they catch the rebound and they just, like, throw it up. And Mo Gay catches it, like, right underneath the basket. Yeah. And dribbles once, holds it for a second, walks, dribbles again, and the referees have to call time out. They have to call time right as the time's expiring. So the buzzer sounds. There's this dude in the stands screaming, he just double dribbled. He just double dribbled. <laughs> and they put time back on the clock. They put 0.6 seconds back on the clock and they inbound it to Colin Gillespie, yeah. who heaves a half quarter and it rims out by like half an inch. <laughs> this guy dies in this yes <laughs> it was one of the funniest experiences i've seen in a long time like truly oh that's amazing there are there are way more people gambling on summer league than should be um it's hilarious it's the best i love it oh my god summer league gambling is the best the, who are guys that have stood out to you i mean of the of the other guys that that we've missed I like. I think Marcus Sasser is going to be able to play. Yeah, I agree. I like his. He, he is what I think the Pistons wanted. Like he's going to be a rock. He's steady. Yep. He just knows how to play basketball. I think you can put him in the Detroit Pistons rotation right away. Yeah, I liked him, and I think his shooting's been fine. But I think that with like Cade Cunningham, yeah, like I think that guy is going to be a floor spacer. I think that being able to put him with Cade. Or with Jaden, like he can play with both of those yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. Or you can play him and Asar. Like, yep. He gives their backcourt real lineup flexibility and versatility. I, yep. I love that pick, and I think it makes a lot of sense. There's a guy I want to close with. Okay. Um. So, do you have anyone else before you go? Uh, I, I really don't. I, like Rupert looked bigger than I thought he would. Yeah. Um. But he's been he's been fine. Yeah. The project. Um. I think Audrey Jackson had the highlight of summer league for me so far. Okay. Um. He went down and had a ridiculous chase down block on Peyton Watson yeah. in the first game that they played the ball, like scrambled back, like got back to the backcourt. And then somehow I think it was Chris Livingston. He like turned it over or something. And then they head man the ball to Peyton Watson and Andre gets him again and just like absolutely swats the hell out of him at the rim. And it was like going up for it. He went up for a dunk like twice and got him twice. Going up for a dunk in transition. Andre Jackson is going to defend from day one, yeah. and I am so here for it. The last guy I want to talk about is our boy Lenny. Okay. Oh, our boy Lenny. <laughs> Leonard Miller came out. He was sick. Was absolutely awesome. Yeah. In the Timberwolves' first game. It was like the first game of Vegas Summer League, basically. So I think it's like kind of off of people's minds a little yeah. bit from yeah, where yeah. it's gone. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh, my God, was Leonard Miller good. Like he had like 16 and 10. He threw a couple of 16, 11, two, two steals and a block. Yeah. yeah. And he had a couple of like absurd passes. He threw an alley-oop to Josh Minot. That was incredible. Um, it was everything you want from Leonard Miller. Like truly it was like Leonard Miller being able to come in and grab and go on the break the way he was able to. Yeah. He had an awesome 
rim rotation late in the game to kind of seal up the win defensively that I thought was re- it was really really impressive like just walled up vertically used all of his like nine foot standing reach to its best advantage I think Leonard Miller's a dude I've been very clear on this I've had him in, I had him as a lottery guy yeah um the fact that he fell to 33 is absolutely crazy to me yeah um the first game for him at summer league was everything that like I thought he was he like basically picked up where he left off at the end of the G league season Yes, where there were a lot of, it was interesting because like he played so well and then he fell in the draft and then people were like, well, you know, he's going to play in the G league. He's going to take some time. And then he comes here and it's like, Oh, like he's clearly better than most guys. hundred percent. hundred percent. It's been, it's been really exciting to see him play his first game and I'm excited to see him play more here. I think they played today. If I remember correctly, I'm not positive on that. Um, yeah, yeah they play Utah uh, at 7 o'clock tonight, okay. so I'm excited about yeah. that. We're recording this on Monday. This will drop Tuesday morning, so uh, you'll have already watched another Leonard Miller game by the time that you're listening and to And it'll this be podcast. a masterpiece. And it'll be so good. <laughs> I feel confident of it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this special edition of the Athletic NBA Show. We'll have more content coming to you from Vegas. Stay locked in to The Athletic. stop anything in this league there's something else open always so how do you tie that shit together how do you get the quarterback to it the voice you're hearing belongs to san francisco 49ers head coach kyle shanahan and he's rolling i'm product of my environment i had to change that shit pretty fast he's in a chair behind his desk and it's not doing a great job of containing him because as he starts to talk about football and designing a scheme and calling plays and how, in his very strong opinion, all of that is supposed to blend with the players, he's practically rattling. Not everyone can do everything, but they better be able to do something. Whether it's the receivers, the quarterbacks, and you keep hammering that stuff and you make people defend it when they defend it, where's the other hole in the defense and who has the best trait to attack that hole and how do you balance them out? Do you have a guy who can find that stuff? If he can't, how do you get him to go through stuff that he'll get to it? Well, then you only put in two plays because it's number one's going to be wide open when it's the right coverage. But when it's the wrong coverage, it'll be so covered that number two will be open. And that's when he's going to go to number two. But don't just tell him to go to number two. Don't make him read the coverage. Make him go through a process of how to get him to there. Or you got a guy who's can just see everything. Kyle, I always go to number three versus cover three. I always go to number one versus cover two. This is the throw here. It's like, all right, well, let's start talking to you differently. But hey, yeah, that doesn't help that guy either, though. Because you just went to number three. Well, yeah, you said it's good versus quarters. Not everyone plays quarters right. That Mike fucking went with your eyes. Now number one was, oh, oh, there's there's a situation for everything. Each mic's different. Each play's different. That's why when people say, like, I learned someone's offense, are you coaching that somewhere? One entire wall of Shanahan's massive office is a dry erase board. It's covered in plays and handwritten notes to himself, and a couple of swipes as if he's gotten pissed and dragged his hand across certain ideas and frustration. Are you just, that's like, what are you, the water boy guy who left his yellow book somewhere and now we have all your secret plays? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's not how it works. Every play on Shanahan's dry erase board starts as one color. 
Then he draws over the top of it with a different color, which represents a different variant to the same play. Then another, then another, color after color. Each of the layers interconnect and create a vivid mess that somehow makes so much sense, it's almost three-dimensional. Welcome to the inside of Kyle Shanahan's brain. I mean, I hate to say this my life because I know when I die, the first thing I'll think about are my loved ones. <laughs> so that's obviously not my life, but shit after that, it's that's all I can think about. This is The Play Callers. My biggest fear if you talk to me as a 14-year-old would be the life of an 80s rock star, which is to achieve success and then be on that downward trend. We were so young and went through some really great moments, but went through some challenging moments. But like, we just wanted to get better at football because we wanted to help our players get better. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more lonely than when you're not having success and you are the play caller. Because it's easy when, when things are going good, everybody has an idea. When you're not having success on offense and you're calling plays, you're like, hey, can, can somebody help me? It's like crickets on the headset. That's just the way it's a lonely feeling. It's a lonely world. That's Miami Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, Los Angeles Rams head coach Sean McVay, and Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. They and Kyle Shanahan are the faces of the NFL's youngest coaching family. They all spent their early years together, collaborating to build an offense that borrowed from the old and introduced the new. Each one of these guys sees the game like an AI <laughs> screen all of these coaches have the same principle but they all have their own stamp on it as well they all became head coaches at unprecedented young ages and began to shape their own identities in the most high pressure environments in sports sean mcveigh got hired in los angeles people were like really because he was so young the tree wasn't established as kind of the NFL's go-to hiring bank at the time. Versions of their offensive system have now spread across a third of the NFL as their respective coaching staffs are pilfered annually. Having a piece of them is synonymous with scoring points. There's a lot of other owners who are just like, okay, like I want to get the next Superman play caller. You know, I want to get someone to touch Sean McVay. I want to get someone to touch Kyle Shanahan because they've won. That's another thing. They've won ball games. I mean, that's an important thing. We can't leave that part out. They have 19 playoff appearances between them, a couple of division and conference championships, and even a Super Bowl win. Sean McVay gets the Gatorade bath after five seasons. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. Yet these four individual coaches are fated to forever be connected to each other, even as they are always ruthlessly competing and attempting to establish their own individuality. They're competing to be first movers in an ever-changing league and even competing against their own minds in obsessive pursuit of perfect answers within an imperfect game. There's not a fucking minute of any day during the calendar year that that immense responsibility I ever wish to be somebody else's, you know? It's an all-encompassing thing that I feel pretty fucking fortunate to be a part of. I mean, it's pretty fucking amazing. You have a microphone giving a shit about what I'm saying. I'm Jordan Rodrigue. I obsess over football for The Athletic. A few years ago, I saw something at a Sean McVay run practice that helped me understand how the game collides with itself 
and how the people, especially these people within it, collide with each other. Football is action and reaction, biology and sociology and evolution. A game, yet with the highest stakes and demanding of a deeply human toll. We're watching these guys and the teams they coach live it all right in front of us with an openness that is kind of startling. If you know where to look. <laughs>